it's uh, very special to be with you, and it's quite a challenge because I don't know you. So what I have to do, of course, is to spend time in prayer and say, Lord, what is it that uh, you desire for this morning? And I'm rather impressed that uh, during some of the things as we opened, I see a lot of overlap with what I'm going to be sharing. The, the song that we sang this morning, Our Sins, They Are Many, His Mercy Is More. First time I heard the song, what a declaration. And it's so encouraging because we as people sometimes feel a little bit uh, downtrodden. Boy, we did that again. I, we promised God we wouldn't do that again. We asked for forgiveness. We repented. And here I am, third time today, asking forgiveness for the same thing. And I'm so encouraged that if Jesus could tell Peter 490 times a day, my friend, keep forgiving. God can keep forgiving and keep us moving on. So I'm very, very encouraged with that. Well, has God called me to do something? I want to talk about calling, and it fits right in with what uh, your church is involved with and a time to reflect and ask God questions like, what, Lord, do you want me to be doing? Where can I serve? Uh, these are v absolutely important, very important for us to ask God if he wants us to be doing something. Now, I work with a particular kind of people, particular kind of background. This is a 9 o'clock service that gets broadcast, so I'll let you read between the lines. Uh, we lived in the Middle East. One of my prayers as I was emptying out an echoey apartment in our city is, Lord, what am I going to do moving back to Pennsylvania? I'm not from this area. My wife is. And I felt the Lord say, I'll take care of that. So I said, okay, we're, uh, we're off to the United States. I had no idea that the refugees and immigrants were going to be pouring into this nation that speak the same language that we had been using for the last 20 years. This started because I was at a kickoff crusade for a summer involvement and one person spoke one evening of needs in countries like Saudi Arabia where we didn't know of one known national believer in the whole country, and that was true uh, in the early 70s. I don't want to scare some of you, but yeah, that is a while back. And I got alone with God and I said, Lord, this is awful. And I felt the Lord say, it is awful. Do something about it. And I was so young in Jesus that I said, okay. <laughs> Had no idea where that was going to take me. But in uh, the middle of that, I was back at university, just beginning, and I went to the housing office and said, I want to move into the international house. And they said, you're from this state? Just live in a dorm. And I said, no, I want to live in the international house. And they said, okay live in the international house. So I moved in. I had a roommate from Iran with Iranis and Kuwaitis on the same floor and began to share my faith, learning all the mistakes a person can make. It's like being a brand new father. You can learn mistakes and then you, you, 
you get going. God trusts us with new things because he knows we're going to learn. So I had good friends from different countries. Uh, one by the name of Reza gave his heart to Jesus and was baptized, and I was hooked. I had to throw myself uh, into this kind of ministry. So how do you go on then living for yourself and making your own plans once God uh, gets a hold of your life? This led me to working with the Arabic language and culture. You can't separate the two. But like I say, that was years and years in uh, Jordan. And then we returned to the United States wondering what is it that God wants us to do? We got involved in training, training people that are going out to a variety of places in the world, trying to help them understand what they're going to look at. Because I would see missionaries, zeal was up here, and their concepts of what they're supposed to do were down here. You know, and you're trying to help them understand what are you going to do? What has God called you to do? How are you going to uh, actually get involved with people? Well, that led eventually to working with refugees and immigrants in our area. And I'll just let you know that we have a lot of Iraqis, a lot of Syrians, Kurds, Egyptians, Sudanese, uh, Lebanese that have moved to this area fleeing war. And I hear an enormous amount of confusion at the same time. That's why I'm addressing this. Has God even called me to do anything? Now, I would love to change the service around and have you stick your hand up and ask questions, but uh, maybe that's not the format we're used to. We hear a lot about unreached people, and then people say, yeah, that's really, really nice, but I don't know if I'm actually called to do something. When God asks you to get involved with his work, it's probably going to be a still, small voice. It's probably not going to be some feeling. Ooh, I had a buzz, man. I'm, I'm really called now. It's because tomorrow morning you might not feel the buzz. And God knows that. Don't look for handwriting on the wall. It only happened once in the Bible, and it's really a, you know, it's too late. <laughs> Don't... Don't wait for that kind of thing to happen. Uh, God has not set us up to wander in a wilderness being believers all our lives and never coming to the point of being a disciple where we know what we're supposed to do. I believe it's already plainly written down in the Word of God, and we simply need to discover what it is that God is wanting us to do. So uh, it's not simply coming to a meeting. That's not your service. I mean, you're coming. We trust that the word of God and the worship together builds us all up. But this is not, for most of us here, our area of service. So my questions have to get to uh, not only has God called me something, but to do something. But I'm going to ask, does the Bible tie together for you. The Bible has to become a book that from Genesis to Revelation ties together. It's not a bunch of scattered stories and you can't figure out why uh, Ruth ends up 
uh, being a widow and then comes into Israel. How does, what does that have to do with Elijah going to someone's house up in Lebanon? It all has to do with God reaching out to people that are beyond the borders of those who can reach out and touch him and drawing them to himself. So the entire Bible actually uh, speaks to this. And then we have to ask, where do I personally fit into the grand scheme of his work? Every one of you have a calling. Every one of you are very unique. Nobody can take your place. God has raised you up for something very specific. And yes, we have probably made some wrong turns in life or missed out on some time. You know, the great apostle Paul said that from birth he was set aside to be an apostle to the Gentiles. Do you think he had a few missed years <laughs> in fulfilling that calling? He really missed it uh, in a really big way. But he goes back to say, this is what I was raised up for. And I want all of us to have that sense of this is the very reason God has raised me up. And then, does God call some people to his work, but not everyone? Well, uh, think of the disciples. God wasn't drawing those people together so that a few would be able to say, I know what I'm supposed to do, and the rest say, I'm just going to go back and go back to the carpenter shop or collecting taxes. Every one of us has to have that sense of uh, deep calling on our lives. I'm going to go through uh, Psalm 87 this morning. It's a, a beautiful little psalm. But sometimes, like the psalms, they're a little bit cryptic because we read them and we don't necessarily get everything that the psalm is uh, saying to us. The Old Testament always ties in with the New. The New Testament always ties in with the Old. I cannot read the Old Testament without interpreting it in light of the New Testament. That's a great tip. And I can't read the New Testament without interpreting it in light of the Old Testament. It keeps us from going off in uh, odd belief systems and helping us understand where we're going. So this is uh, Psalm 87. Sons of Korah wrote this. He has founded his city on the holy mountain. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all, all the other dwellings of Jacob. Now, I just want to stop here. When I used to read the word Zion after living in the Middle East, in a city that is 80% Palestinian, I'd hit the word Zion and I would, I would flinch. When you hit a, a, a little bit of a, of a jerk or a flinch because you don't like something that you're reading in Scripture, find out why. Don't push Scripture aside and say, I don't understand it. We'll cover that one up and not bring it up when I'm sharing my faith. Uh, it'll come back and, and touch you. There's a lot of things uh, in this life that people have reinterpreted that do come out of the Bible, and that is certainly not the original meaning. For instance, you know, and I'll, I'll stick uh, my feet out here. I love seeing a rainbow. God gave a promise. He's never going to destroy the world again with a flood. 
So don't worry about global warming and all the coastlands and, and countries being swallowed up by floodwaters. It's not going to happen. God promised it wouldn't happen. Uh, when you see it as a flag, it doesn't mean at all what God intended. Now, when I would flinch with the word Zion, it's because I heard of Zionism, a philosophy of life that said, only Jewish background people can live in this country, the rest of you out. So millions of people are displaced. That's not biblically the way God set things up. He said foreigners with families must have inheritance in the land. God welcomes people. He doesn't separate them. So the Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the other dwellings of Jacob. Glorious things are said of you, O city of God. And by the way, when we say, O city of God, what do you think that actually means? It's Jerusalem, but it's the new Jerusalem. We're, we're talking about the new Jerusalem now. I love going through the Psalms because it is not simply just Old Testament. It is prophetically looking to the future. We have no problem with the Psalms looking ahead to the suffering, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And in the same way, we need to be able to see that there is a new Jerusalem. Glorious things are said of you. I'll record Rahab and Babylon among those who acknowledge me, Philistia too, and Tyre along with Cush, and will say, this one was born in Zion. Indeed, of Zion it will be said, this one and that one were born in her, and the Most High himself will establish her. Rahab here is not referring to one particular lady that lived in Jericho that she and her family were saved. Rahab is one of these nicknames given to Egypt. So let's reread this. I'll record Egypt, and where's Babylon? Iraq. <laughs> uh, Philistia, too. How about Palestinians? And Tyre. That's way up in Lebanon, along with Cush, southern Sudan, and into Ethiopia. And we'll say, this one was born in Zion. What is this talking about? It's a fabulous uh, look at what God is saying. The Lord will write in the register of the peoples, this one was born in Zion. They'll make music and they'll sing, all my fountains are in you. Uh, here's what it's saying. We've got these countries listed out, which happen to be, uh, according to the text, Rahab, Babylon, Philistia, Tyre, and Cush, which actually means Egypt, Iraq, and into Iran, if we look at the captivity. Philistia, which is Palestine, Jordan, and places Palestinians have been scattered to. Tyre is Lebanon, Cush, northern, or sorry, southern Sudan, and into Ethiopia. And what the Lord is saying, there are people of these lands that have been born again. They're registered as having been born again in the new city of God. Wow, is that encouraging. Those are the very people I'm working with all the way downtown in Lancaster. Egyptians, Iraqis, Palestinians, Lebanese, 
Sudanese, Kurds, and they're coming to Jesus, and they're finding new life, and their names are being registered in the Lamb's Book of Life. All my fountains, all my joy is in you. So my question for you is, is this kind of nice information? Uh, is that as far as it goes, or is this God's desire that needs to work through you? Part of the call of God in our life has to reach out to the ends of the earth. No, 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 no not me. Not me. Yes, you. Every church has to have its fingers somewhere into the ends of the earth. Every believer, disciple, every one of us has to have something that takes us to ends of the earth people. Whether you're supporting a ministry or involved in a ministry, uh, something has to move on our hearts. So uh, as Americans, uh, often we are such individualists. I can't blame us for that. I'm one of those two. <laughs> uh, such individualists. But we have to ask ourselves, what are we actually doing for the kingdom? What are we actually doing for the Lord himself? Because your faith is not just your personal individual concepts of theology. God has called you to do something and be involved with his work. We are, as people from this country, Rugged individualists, because uh, you've come from other places on the globe. I can tell you who my great-grandfather was. He came to the United States when he was 16 years old. Beyond that, beyond just my great-grandfather, I have no idea of my background. I know some people living in the Middle East that can rattle off 25 generations of grandparents, great-grandparents, great-great, and they keep going back because they, they belong to something. They have a tribal sense of belonging. I don't have that. What this does is help me be a pioneer and figure out how to do things, but it, what it is lacking in my life is that I don't necessarily put things together to work with others quickly unless I realize that's what God really wants for me. Our individualism uh, can develop a sense of rootlessness, and then we want to know, God, what's my ministry? Please speak to me and call me individually and tell me exactly what I'm supposed to do, Lord. If I told you some of the things I have heard people say, I, I hope you could chuckle with me, uh, not at the people, but at the, the silly concepts people come up with. You were born just like the Apostle Paul to serve God. You were born with a particular calling and ability to fulfill that that no one else can do. God spoke to uh, Abraham many, many generations back and said, Abraham, I'm going to bless you and you will be a blessing to all nations. And how that takes place is an extremely important concept. So we're going to uh, look at what it is to be light to the nations. It's not an option. The Lord told Israel, Israel, you're to be a light to the nations, that all the world to the ends of the earth will know me. 
And I guarantee you, individual Israelis did not say, I'm not, I don't really feel called to do that. <laughs> there are people. As a whole people, they're called. You're believers uh, in the Lord Jesus. As a whole people, you're called. You don't stand back and say, I'm not really sure I should get involved with this. So this is not an option. I'm going to look at just a couple of scriptures this morning that will help us understand this. Because it's not that you just look for your own ministry, because when you do, you're going to say, but how do I get started? And if I'm not called to a location and a people in a particular place on the globe, maybe some will say, I just maybe am not called. So I'm going to look uh, at a couple of scriptures in in the word, first of all, in Isaiah 49, 5 and 6. Now, I didn't put all the scriptures up. I'm sure you can either write down these references or you can turn to it in your Bible. And now the Lord says, this is Psalm 49, verses 5 and 6. And now the Lord says, so who's speaking? Okay, uh, I'll fill in the blank then. The Lord, it, <laughs> when you look this up, it's, it's uh, Yahweh himself speaking. The Lord says, he who formed me in the womb to be a servant. Boy, is this an interesting passage. I wonder if Mrs. Isaiah said, I think Isaiah needs some sleep. What do you mean God speaking, Yah Yahweh speaking from the womb? He who formed me in the womb to be a servant, to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel to himself, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength. He says, and this is the Lord speaking to the one in the womb, it's too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I'll also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. The Father is speaking over prophetically the Christ that will be born and saying, it's too small of a vision for you to gather the people of God. Friends, for you too, it's too small of a vision for you just to gather the, and work with the people of God. It's too small of a vision. The Father is saying over the coming Messiah, your vision must be broader to go to the ends of the earth. Every nation, every island, every people group, every language to the very ends of the earth. Don't have too small of a vision. It must expand to encompass something. I can't do all that. Of course you can't. But you can do something. Let the Holy Spirit work through you something. Jesus looked at his disciples and said, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And what that means is, dear disciples, the Father told me it's too small of a vision to gather the people of God. You have to have vision to the very ends of the earth, every tribe, every language group, do something. That's how you're called. 
just like the disciples. These other scriptures that are uh, shown are from Isaiah talking of how instruction is going to go forth from the Lord and his justice will be light to the nations. And Isaiah 60 says, Arise, shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth and thick darkness is over the peoples, but the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. That's amazing. People are going to be drawn to your light. But this is not a stand in place, we'll just kind of wait for people to knock on my door passage. People will be drawn to you, but you're going to have to get involved with people. It is always uncomfortable, even though I've done this for 46, 47 years, to go and knock on a door and find out that someone in the family, I've never met them before, someone in the family is sick and say, can we pray and ask the Lord Jesus to heal them? It's so easy to pray with Christians, right? It's so challenging to go and get involved with people that we haven't known, but people will be drawn to that light. And uh, unfortunately, sometimes we're too busy to hear that call of God, that direction of God. For some reason, we feel important If our schedules are so full, we can't really move and do very much else in life. But God says that his priorities are having light to the nations brought to the entire world. And then we have to ask, is that my priority? If your priorities and God's priorities do not intersect, then you're going to have a very difficult time hearing his calling you and I need to be in prayer and say, Lord, help me with my priorities. And honestly, I might have a day that is full, priorities, things that I've gotten ready to do, and I'll get a phone call from one of my refugee friends saying, I really need help. Now, what are my priorities going to be? You know, I really need to get my list done Uh, I can't say that. I have to become family to people who are bereaved of family. They have left everything. They look at us and they say, you are now our family. And I have to live that way. Not on the basis of what I think family looks like, but what they consider family to be. So if you are a disciple of Jesus, you're also called to serve him. And his priorities of light to the nations have to become your priorities. Now I'm going to have you turn to Jeremiah 24. Amazing passage. This is the captivity. I was so stirred reading this because I thought the children's Bible story I was giving my kids was wrong. So I closed the children's Bible and went and got my real Bible and read the same thing. So I thought, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh, I'm wrong. (laughs) It's, It's not the children's Bible. Jeremiah 24. 
After Jehoiachin, son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and the officials and the skilled workers and the artisans of Judah were carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, the Lord showed me two baskets of figs placed in front of the temple of the Lord. Uh, I've had people often, I ask them, just draw it out. What are you looking at? And people will draw a basket of really nice figs. Some will say, what's a fig look like? <laughs> We're not Middle Easterners, so we don't know what they look like on a tree. Uh, and they will draw a basket of bad figs with flies around them and, you know, juice running out, bad figs. But something they often forget is the temple. This is very important. Two baskets of figs placed in front of the temple of the Lord. The Lord said to me, what do you see, Jeremiah? Figs, I answered. Good ones are very good. Bad ones are so bad they cannot be eaten. And the word of the Lord came to me. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Like these good figs, I regard as good the exiles from Judah, whom I sent away from this place to the land of the Babylonians. And that's where I closed my children's Bible story book because I knew bad figs were going to get punished. And I was wrong. And I opened up my Bible. I'm looking at this and thinking, what am I reading? This is what the captivity was also accomplishing. Isaiah, years before, prophesied and said, Israel, you'll be a light to the nations. And Israel said, yeah, right. <laughs> the nations. We don't like them. And then God took a basket of figs. Those figs have names. People like Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they have names on them, and God put a FedEx sticker on that basket and sent it off to Babylon to be light to the nations, the best he's got, the best figs God could gather. That's what's happening here. The temple will be destroyed in the third captivity. The basket of bad figs are just unusable. They're not, I, God looks at them and says, I, don't, I can't do anything with them. But those good figs in that vision are all God has to work with. The temple will be gone. The bad figs have no response to the heart of God. And God's looking at you today and saying, will you be a good fig? Will you get into that basket? Will you be useful in a, a time where I desperately need your involvement so that people from Egypt, Iraq, Iran, Afghanistan, Nepal can hear the word of God? What I love about uh, this ministry that's close is you don't have to learn a language Everybody wants to learn your language. You don't need a passport. You just need to be willing to drive a little bit of distance and find people that are hungry to have a friendship. Passage continues, my eyes will watch over them for their good. I'll bring them back to this land. I'll build them up and not tear them down. That's an interesting thing because... Uh, isn't he tearing them down by tearing them away from Jerusalem? Ha! Huh. It's their ministry. 
He's called them to be a light to the nations. You will never be totally planted in the Lord outside of your gifting and calling. God wants to plant you and give you rootedness in a gifting and calling. I will plant them and not uproot them. I'll give them a heart to know me that I am the Lord. They'll be my people. I'll be their God. Fill their return to me with all their heart. But like the bad figs, which are so bad they cannot be eaten, says the Lord, so I will deal with Zedekiah, king of Judah, his officials, survivors from Jerusalem. Whether they remain in the land or live in Egypt, I will make them abhorrent and an offense to all the kingdoms of the earth, a reproach and a byword, a curse and an object of ridicule. Whether I banish them, uh, I will send them, I will send the sword, famine and plague against them until they are destroyed from the land I gave to them and their ancestors. Here's what I'm looking at in this passage. Daniel and his friends were considered good figs and they're sent to Babylon. If you're willing to think with me and do your Bible studies and theology in context, what's the difference between that and you being believers here and God reaching out and bringing Babylonians and Syrians and Kurds and Sudanese and dropping them at your back door? It's the same vision, friends. It's just being run in reverse. God has called you to do something way beyond yourself. It requires a team. We have a team of 18 to 20 people that work together in this ministry. No possible way for us to accomplish this without a team. I know people who have, in a very individualistic way, worked with uh, a particular background for years and years and years, and they're getting exhausted taking people to the dentist and the doctor, and that's as far as they get. They don't have a team. We're working with people in two different states beyond Pennsylvania, helping them to understand what it is to build a team and begin doing work with the tens of thousands of people that God has brought us. And a little tip, we have to get beyond a screen print of an American flag in front of us and see the kingdom of God first and foremost. I love being an American. I have no problem being patriotic but I have to focus on the value of the kingdom first and foremost in my life. So I want to encourage you with a couple things here. Be willing to be a good fig and useful to God wherever he wants you to be. Another thing is let God use you in new ways. If you say, oh, I've never thought of that before, that's a good thought. That's a good thing to say. Because in God, everything is new. Day after day, he can call you to something new. And I also want to encourage you to affirm that you're already called. You don't have to do anything special. You are the Lord's. He has already called you. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I am so, so grateful for the ministry that you've called all of us to be involved with. 
I thank you you've called us to be a people and not just individuals that cling to you. You've called us to be a people and to be teams of individuals that can work with the unreached you brought us. And I pray, Lord, for all of us to open our hearts to something new that you want to do. And I pray against words of discouragement that we've heard in the past, words that are confusing, that pull us away from the call of God. We resist that and we pray for your fullness to be ours. In Jesus' name, amen.